Hi, my name's Hudson, and I'm a geoholic. Hi, my name is Dr. Nick Smolowski, and I'm a geoholic. Thank you for tuning in for another out-of-this-world edition of Bad Elf's 60 Seconds of Spatial News. We at Bad Elf live our lives 60 spatial seconds at a time, and we know you do too. As always, our goal is to cram the most relative spatial news content into the shortest space and time possible. For this week's spatial news, we are discussing the Earth's first space hotel. And no, you can't book a room yet via Priceline. Sorry, William Shatner. But seriously, a California-based startup company called Orbital Assembly Corp. is claiming to open the first space hotel as soon as 2027. The Voyager Station, as it is called, will host restaurants, a movie theater, spas, and rooms for up to 400 people. The station will sit in a sun-synchronous polar orbit to reduce thermal stress, to optimize solar power generation, to avoid orbital degradation, and space debris. Estimated altitude puts the station at over 500 kilometers from the surface. Almost three times larger than the ISS, Orbital Assembly Corp plans on using 100% pre-existing technologies to construct the station. Good thing we have some large rockets being deployed and tested these days that can help deliver these materials into space. If you're looking to hedge your investments these days with almost certain inflation coming, perhaps investing in a space hotel is right for you. See their website for details. And that does it for this week's Bad Elf's 60 Seconds of Spatial News. We hope you enjoyed our selected story of the week. As always, if you have any questions about this news, about Bad Elf global positioning systems, or any other pressing existential thoughts about the cosmos, please feel free to contact me via LinkedIn or through the Geoholics channel. Live long and prosper. Just a quick note to express our appreciation for the 2021 Friends of the Program for their continued support. Please consider their products and services as they have special promos for Geoholics listeners. Aerotech Mapping Inc., ATMLV.com, Advanced Geodetic Surveys Inc., AGSGPS.com, Bad Elf GPS, Bad-Elf.com, Cobb Fenley, CobbFenley.com, Cyanic Automation, cyanicautomation.com, Diamondback Land Surveying, diamondbacklandsurveying.com, Get Kids Into Survey, getkidsintosurvey.com, Land Surveyors United, landsurveyorsunited.com, Mentoring Mondays, mentoringmondays.xyz, Monson Engineering, monsonengineering.com, Parkland Community College, parkland.edu forward slash land dash surveying, Safety Apparel, safetyapparel.us, and last but not least, Tiger Supplies, tigersupplies.com. Almost there, boys. Five more seconds. <laughs> it's got to reach the crescendo. Got to hit the post. Hello, geoholics. Welcome back, and thanks so much for listening to this episode being number 73. Shoots, what do you got for 73, man? I got Mr. Larry Allen. I know that's familiar a... Familiar with the name. Nobody knows him, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Must be another Larry Allen I'm thinking of. Uh, well, you know, we're getting into those higher numbers, and it's the uh, offensive lineman. But 1994 second-round pick overall, uh, Dallas Cowboys. I was going to say Cowboys. I yep. knew it. 11-time Pro Bowler. It's the right Larry Allen. Seven-time first-team All-Pro, or 1990s and 2000s All-Decade team, NFL 100th anniversary All-Time team. He's in the Cowboys Ring of Honor, and he was the 2013 NFL Hall of Fame inductee. Yeah, good choice. Yeah, hey. well done. There, there aren't too many options at number 73. I know, I know. Wait till next week, 74. It might be even more of a challenge. Nah, we got this covered. All right, all right. Always. Awesome. Well, we are back recording from PJ's Beat Lab studio. PJ, thanks for letting us hang out with you. Of course, guys. Thanks for being here. On that note, stay tuned for some big developments over the next couple of weeks, especially on the studio front. Some big changes coming, I believe. We are seeing a massive uptick in listeners and followers, so it's pretty amazing and humbling, to be honest with you. Um, for those of you that have not done so already, be sure to like us on all of our social media outlets, those being Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and of course now on Clubhouse. Just search for the G-Hawks and you'll find us on all those platforms. If you'd like to support the show, please consider becoming a patron of the show by simply going to patreon.com and searching for the G-Hawks. We do have some new 
patrons that we need to thank this week. You ready for this? Who do we have? Couple really good guys. Couple, couple of our favorite oh, people. You actually. just set me up. Glad to hear they're good guys. Exactly. Though. Yep. yep. I, I know. It was a softball. First, we got Mr. Philip Adams from Adams Surveying Company, there we and go. Phil Fedora from Bowman Consulting. Thank oh, you my so much, guys, for your support. It is much appreciated. Sounds like we made a difference last week. I think we did. Yeah. Struck we, a nerve. We touched some people <laughs> in the appropriate <laughs> not, way. I was going to say not inappropriately, <laughs> not not like in a Biden kind of way. <laughs> All right, PJ, tell us a little bit about that opening number. All right, guys, that was Blue Sky Mine by Midnight Oil. So Midnight Oil is an Australian rock band formed in Sydney, 1972. Uh, Midnight Oil issued their self-titled debut album in 1978 and gained a cult following in their homeland shortly thereafter. The group garnered worldwide attention with their 1987 album Diesel and Dust. They have won 11 Australian Recording Industry Association Awards and were inducted into the ARIA Hall of Fame in 2006. Guardian writer Andrew Street described Midnight Oil as one of Australia's most beloved bands. And one of my favorite bands from the 80s, to be honest with you. I think, I'm, I, think I was part of that cult, as a matter of fact. Wow. You're, you're a little older than Jake and myself. And I would love to get somebody I'm going to lump on. myself in with Jake. If anybody listening knows somebody that spent time in a cult, please reach out oh, to us. that'd be a great episode. I would love to get them on as a guest. So uh, keep that in mind. So quick shout out to this week's highlighted friend of the program. This week we are highlighting Monson Engineering. Monson Engineering has been supplying the design build industry with the highest quality measurement solution since 1974. They pride themselves in being your one-stop shop throughout all the phases of your project planning to completion from drones to lasers total stations or high accuracy gps equipment they have what you need when you need it thanks pj they provide the latest cutting edge design build equipment including trimble and spectra precision gps teledyne optic 3d scanners tiny mobile robots automated that automate layout Dell Air and DJI UAVs and Topcon lasers. Man, a lot going on there. Monson Engineering is a leading supplier of products for the design build industry in the Intermountain West since 1974 with offices located in Salt Lake City, Utah, as well as Las Vegas and Reno, Nevada. Be sure to visit them at monsonengineering.com and be sure to tell them the Geoholic sent you. And they sponsor a hell of a golf tournament. You know, every oh, other yeah, year. Oh, yeah, that's right. Co-sponsor, right? Yes. Yep, with our good friend Trent Keenan and Diamondback Lancer Ring. No, Aerotech Mapping. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, Trent does his on his own. Trent does his own. That's right. Diamondback Lancer Ring does their own. Aerotech <laughs> Mapping and Monson Engineering, you know, yeah, yeah, all yeah, yeah. friends in the My program. My apologies. No. They all kind of run together. The, the, I, I, hey, I, they're all in the circle of trust. They are all in the trust tree, absolutely. <laughs> and I just think Trent's involved in everything, so well, it's just an automatic. He basically is. He is, pretty much, he, yeah. he, he He does everything. Including Indeed. this weekend. Into a big weekend. We'll talk oh, about boy. that next show for sure. Um, <clears throat> all right. Excuse me. Our weekly pod word for this week is robots, fittingly. Uh, so real sense. quick, to qualify for this month's listener prize, it's really easy, never too late. Listen every week. Jot down each episode's pod word at the end of the month. Email said pod words to us. Uh, along with your name, and you will be entered into the drawing for that month's prize. This month, the prize is a safety apparel safety pack, generously donated by Matthew Stansberry at Safety Apparel, of course. One more time for those with a short attention span like myself, the pod word for this episode is? Robot. Oh my God! You forgot it already. <laughs> oh my! Uh, no, God. I, I I can't be involved, so I just give up as soon as you say it. Thank God for producer Jake. <laughs> I can't be involved. That I would can't. have been like a really awkward silence <laughs> for about five minutes. While I'm trying and to none of it out. would have been cut hey, out. Can I win? No. So why do I care? Fair All enough. of you should, but fair. I don't. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Let's catch up with the fellows a little bit. Producer Jake, what's going on, man? How's it going, guys? Good to be here again. Um, had a great weekend um, celebrating friend of the program McKenna's birthday. Um, we're going to dive into that a little bit. Just want to touch on it. Went to an office themed um, kind of dinner party thing where they served um, drinks and entrees that were like what's the best word they're represented I guess in the show yeah. um, so it was kind of cool to be surrounded by like office fans we had a great time um, and we I'm going to leave a little bit here and set up um, DD for, for a slam dunk on, on the, the cool parts but what what not necessarily slam, a slam dunk but the, the fun parts of the dinner so Brian I, what about I, you I, I, I'm just 
totally you're along for the ride. Uh, no, today. I'm totally fascinated <laughs> with the Office theme. Party. Are you watch? Yeah, I love that show. Yeah, I I learned from you guys that the show is amazing, and I got the lovely Carrie involved, and we had to watch. What is it? Nine seasons of oh that show? Uh, Eight, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh my Eight God. or nine. It was, it was so good. And we mm-hmm. were... Legendary. The only thing I don't like is Robert California. It's He's hit or miss for some people. A lot yep. of people actually didn't like um, Will Ferrell's character, too. Oh, That's true. No, Will Ferrell's always amazing. I loved them all, man. I am. I am D'Angelo like, Vickers. D'Angelo Vickers, exactly. There was a drink named after him this weekend. The yep. D'Angelo Vickers. Yep. I, for me, not really a whole lot going on. I am easygoing. Uh, got the Hudson Duke. Going back to school, boys. Nice. So there you he, go. he's on spring break right now. Was a huge a hole today. Because <laughs> yeah. he's got nothing to do, so he got was a lot of time on even less yeah. to do than normal. Yeah, he was. So he was over my shoulder as I'm trying to work, and you know, it is what it is. But he'll be back to school next week, and I will be a happier man. But what about you, DD? Tell, tell me about this. Thing. I, I will I'm, springboard I'm so off of PJ's intro there for sure. But one question I have: So, Huddy is how old? Seven. Seven. So it's seven years old. Is he like talking about girls yet or anything like that? No, he hates it. He hates love. <laughs> he literally like covers love. his ears. Wow, like, that's <laughs> not even <laughs> girls, but just, love. Just that's any deep. of it. He just hates all any and all of it. And the funny thing is, like, because I'm daddy, he calls me DD. Yeah. But mm. then, like, I'm like, no, this guy's DD. Yeah. Oh, so I have, there's going to be some this, confusion next week. Yeah, I have this dilemma at home yeah. where you know there are two DDs in my life. Identity crisis <laughs> could be worse things. Let's look at that. All right, so let me springboard off of PJ's uh, his little story there. So we did go to an office themed dinner. It was an absolute blast celebrating my oldest daughter McKenna's birthday. Of course, PJ and uh, and Presley were there, and it was super cool. It's like a five course meal. Um, every course came with a drink. So needless to say, we all Ubered there because afterwards we were feeling no pain, as they say. And the first Toasty. drink was like this. Yeah, for sure. The first drink was like this. Beat. Farm boy swill. Farm boy swill. It had like a beet powder around the edge of the glass. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. And Jake, what did you say? It tastes like my grandparents' cabin. Cabin. It was like so like woody and earthy and like dirty. And I was like, ugh. Not dirty like in a gross way, but like dirt, like soil. Yeah. Was, well, that's earthy. what beets yeah. taste like. Yeah. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was awesome. But uh, I saw just a small sample of Chicago Jake. He started to peek his oh, head out a little bit, yeah. but then he reeled it back in. So we're still working on that. Next week. Next week. We're going to oh, geez, over some corned beef. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. The other thing is, um, for those of you who like The Office as much as we do, of course, there's the Dundee Awards on an annual basis. And they gave them out at the uh, at the dinner party. And we won two Dundies. One was for the... <laughs> What was for the most distracted table? Mm-hmm. Which, the, which really translates to most obnoxious table because we were getting pretty <laughs> oh crazy. Man, we had a good time. We had a great time. I bought this game um, and brought it with. And it's not not cards not cards against humanity, but it was almost like an office against mm-hmm. humanity type card games. We played that. Oh my god, it was so much fun. And then the lovely Megan won a Dundee for the most for the best purple hair. Oh, that's purple hair. Yep. That's a very unique slam award. Dunk. That's very well, on brand for her, for sure. Well done. Yep, yep. slam dunk on that one. So other than that, um, the Tiny Piney Pub is open for business, boys. Uh, Vacancy we'll be there. At, the, at the Tiny Piney Pub. Yep, yep. More to follow on that. Let's move on. Safety apparel, safety share shoots. What do you got this week? I got respiratory protection. You guys ready for this I one? I feel like I need that. Listen to me. Did you know that an estimated 5 million workers are required to wear respi- respirators throughout the United States? Five million. Wow, really? That's a well, lot. Like a coal right? miner or something. That's a that's Pro- a fairly sizable percentage. Proper application of resp- respir oh man respiratory. That's a tough word for me. Equipment can prevent approximately four thousand injuries and illnesses annually, and as well as nine hundred deaths. Jeez, really? Gotta yes. be like firefighters. Well, it's from chronic and uh, cancer. Mm. You know what I mean? Things that build off of that. Wow. Uh, Not like you're gonna breathe it in; it's gonna kill you right there but over no. time. At all. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's like nine eleven. You're talking about that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are three mm-hmm. types of respirators that we're gonna talk about: particulate respirators. They're disposable. Um, the ones you just wear regularly. Mm. It's not worth a dollar to reuse just that throw the COVID it out. respirator 
No, 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 no. This is no. just like a standard. Yeah, mask. like your 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 KN95s yeah. or whatever. Okay, you, you throw them out and you use a new one. Gotcha. It's not worth a dollar to reuse them. Gotcha. Uh, your gas and vapor respirators, they use a cartridge. You put them on half your face, and then they use gas and va- they cover gas and vapor, but not particulates. Mm. And then there's a third one. Okay. And this is what I was learning when when researching this. There's a combination of respirators. They use a cartridge that does particulates and gas and vapor. That's the, does it cover uh, your entire face like a scuba mask? Or yeah, something? yeah. Gotcha. It, it do, your eyes don't matter. It's yeah. it's just over your nose and mouth, and uh, you, there's different cartridges, and they protect you from both the the gas and vapor and particulates. And it's it, I, I was fascinated when I learned about this stuff. I'm such a cheap ass. I've used the same disposable mask for no, like you two months. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it literally said in the article I read. It's worth the dollar. Throw it away. Oh, jeez. But you are too cheap. I apparently. So Either that I, or I'm I, just I, immune. I just figured with the with the COVID stuff going on, respiratory stuff, um, realistically, those cartridges, reuse them when necessary, but throw them out when you can. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. It's like an outlier safety share, but valuable nonetheless. Hey, it was, it was two parts. It's COVID I and... Like it. You know, with, very applicable. With, yes. Yep. I like it. All right. Let's get on with this. Our guest this evening is Fred Brown. Fred was born in Amarillo, Texas, and he grew up in Wilcox, Arizona, which is a rural what? rural town like in Southeast Arizona. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that with him. He attended Sam Houston State University, Go Bearcats. <laughs> Couple notable alumni from Sam Houston State, journalist Dan Rather went to school there. And get this, NFL journeyman, Josh McCowan, also a notable alumni of Sam Houston State University. I did not know that. (laughs) No, learn something new every day in the Geahawks. Fred enjoys golfing and woodworking in his free time, in addition to writing poetry and taking long walks on the beach. Actually, I made that last part. He's such a romantic. He's such a romantic, this guy. (laughs) He's worked in the surveying world for over 40 years, which is amazing. He is currently the director of operations at Golden Field Services. Check out Golden Field Services at goldenfieldservices.com. So, Fred, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the Geoholics. Thanks for having me. You bet. You bet. Where are you calling in from tonight? I'm actually in Denver. I had uh, some business meetings in Denver and I'm still here. So, I'm hoping to get out tomorrow because there's a major storm supposed to be moving in. So, oh boy. I'm hoping I get out. Denver's always a crapshoot, I swear to God. The, the weather changes there, like, more rapidly than Chicago. And it's always well, rough. Woke up this, yeah. yeah, woke up this morning to snow, so. Yeah, crazy, crazy. And when I, anytime, I, anytime I've ever flown into Denver or out, for that matter, it's always a rough ride. Always. It's so turbulent over the mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about your woodworking hobby a little bit. My uh, stepfather is a bit of a woodworker, so um, what are the things that you like to make? Oh, really? Well, that's interesting. I mean, I've made several items over the years. I tinker with it mostly and in my spare time, but desks and cabinets, uh, furniture of different kinds, kind of, you can see some of it evolved over time as to my beginnings to where I may be now. So, but for me, it's relaxing. I'll spend more time at it. Obviously it looks better in the end, but uh, I don't get in any big hurry and probably would never aspire to sell anything I've made, but I enjoy doing it for myself. Yeah, it's a great hobby. And the thing that I know, um, our, um, the Boo Man, Archie, uh, Chicago Bob, appreciates about it is, you know, you make these things, you know, like he's made a rocking horse for, uh, you know, one of, one of the family members. And he's just made all these different things. When you make something out of wood, you know, a piece of furniture, it could be a vase. I mean, it could be a bat. Base, I was going to say, not <laughs> to mention Wonder Boy. The thing that's cool, that stuff is like, timeless it'll be around forever you know and just pass it down and pass it down and it just uh becomes part of the family so that's a really cool hobby so fred um fred has literally worked all over the world in his 40 years of serving and we're going to get into that in just a little bit but I, let, let's start with this fred tell us a little bit about golden field services i, I came across you know you and golden field services on on linkedin and i'm just you know really intrigued by by what you guys do so talk a little bit about golden field services maybe let's start with the history of the company well, the history of the company was originally started as uh, Jeffries and Associates, and that began 
in uh, the late 70s, early 80s. As a matter of fact, when I initially started my career in surveying on the oil and gas world, I met the, the owner at that time, Jerry Jeffries, senior. And uh, I've known him for many years, since 1984. And about 20 years ago, two decades ago, he changed the name to Golden Field Services, Inc. So still in the same business uh, since he's come into inception 20 years ago as Golden Field, Inc. It's spread out a little bit more than just in the oil and gas industry. We telecommunications. And since I've been there, I've brought in the mining and metals part of uh, the side of the company that we do as well as the oil and gas, you know, contacts that I've had around. So. It's been around many years, and many people in the oil and gas industry know the name Jerry Jeffrey Sr. So uh, he's well known. Uh, it's always remained uh, a pretty, I want to say, small company, as many service companies are. You don't have a huge staff. You gear up for particular projects when you get them, uh, but you keep your your home office, a pretty lean group of people that will always be there. And it's a very family owner. The people that work there have known each other for years and years and been there for many years. So uh, in that aspect, it's it's pretty cool. Another aspect, it's kind of time to make changes as we see the industry, the industry changing uh, through social activities and so on. There's uh, time to kind of branch out but i've always been personally in both oil and gas and mining and metal so for me it's a natural fit I, i've done both around the world and i just kind of bring that to the table which is uh, oddly enough one of the reasons why i'm here in denver this week but uh, the history of uh, uh golden field service is pretty much that gotcha yeah mr jeffries i mean he's <clears throat> excuse me well known and well respected for sure so talk about the services that the services part of golden field services what exactly do you guys do what do you what do you uh uh provide for folks well in the oil and gas side uh, it's the common service industry stuff we do routing and routing studies preliminary work boundary work plat work uh, through the preliminary side of when the front end side of the job starts through construction staking and on into the as-built side. We do all mapping. We work pretty exclusively with Blue Sky for our mapping side. So we take care of uh, from beginning to end on the survey side as well as the drawings and the mapping, alignment sheet, and so on. That's on the oil and gas side. On mining metals, it's a little different on our survey side because there's story lines, story pipelines, and that would be pretty much the same thing as we would do for pipelines. But then there's also work and topology, LIDAR, uh, volume calculations, which are much more uh, conducive to the needs of the mining industry when you're talking about volumes. So we kind of have two separate groups running right that. Although the guys that work oil and gas also work the story lines as well. We also have an inspection side uh, that we do inspections, and that's primarily to the oil and gas industry. Uh, we go from project management down to, you know, any level of the inspection side of the crafts during the construction activities. And then we have telecommunications. <clears throat> In that respect, we do engineering as well on the survey side for oil and gas and Mining and metals, we don't do any of the engineering side. We're exclusive to uh, the services, and we don't do the EPC. But on telecom, we do have EPC group that uh, starts from beginning to end and runs all the way through it. So that's pretty much what we do. And uh, last few years, we've gotten into the LIDAR and the different geomatics and the stuff that are coming of age that are much more used now and accepted. Uh, everything's fully GPS now, but we have a lot of individuals that are old school instrumentation. Uh, so we're able to work in just about any conditions and terrain and, you know, cover there is out there when you don't have GPS and you've got canopies, we can always pull out the instrument and run it that way too. So yep. <laughs> it's school. a pretty well-rounded group uh, yeah. uh, in general, the, the permanent people. How many employees does a uh, GFS uh, have? We have probably around 50, 
always mm-hmm. full time. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, you know, it gears up and down depending upon the projects that we have and how many people are required. Gotcha. What changes have you guys had to make throughout the uh, the pandemic? Well, the biggest change we made was, uh, interestingly enough, everybody in our CAD group, our GIS group, our GMS group works in our corporate office in Tulsa, unless they're subject to a particular project and they're on site doing tech work. But otherwise, all that work is done in our corporate office. And uh, being the Mr. Jeffrey Sr. is a long time in the business. He's a staunch believer in being there every day, doing your work, being hands-on. Uh, so when the pandemic hit, that, that was a real change for us to have to tell people to go home and work. That they couldn't be in the office anymore. We had to make, <clears throat> under the guidelines and everybody was having to deal with us everywhere, was uh, the advisement was in our COVID package and plan was to send everybody home and let them work remote, which was easy enough for you know, that group, because they're all electronic anyway. Interestingly enough, though, we thought it may be a little less productive. And it turned out to be incredibly productive. Uh, And I attribute that to the fact that there was nothing else to do. Hmm. Where remote, going remote to start with uh, is difficult for a lot of people because it's just not the same um, climate that you would have at work. So you're kind of subject to <clears throat> kind of getting off track and something else going on or your family being there or something happening or something to do. Uh, but with COVID, it was, you know, absolutely really nobody going anywhere doing anything. So it became very productive. Uh, but toward the trailing edge of last year, uh, most everybody was, begging to come back to the office. They, they were tired of working at home. Uh, of course, not everybody had access to plotters. We mm. couldn't put plotters in everybody's houses for a lot of the check work that you do. So uh, people were tired of being at home and they were ready to get back to the office. So our, the, the challenge ended up being very productive. We even considered, we talked about maybe keeping that a possibility and everybody was, uh, and the gym manager was like, yep. no, <laughs> we're going back to the office. So I, I thought that was interesting because I, I hear a lot now where a lot of companies are saying that remote now is the way they're going to go. So we, we've decided not to. We're going to return back to full-time, everyone back in the office, and uh, we're kind of looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, I think that says a lot about the company, to be honest with you, that people are anxious to get back to the office because I know there's a lot of companies that <clears> – <throat> Like you said, they're not they're not going to go back to everybody coming to the office full time. They're going to let people work remotely and virtually and what have you because we've gotten really good at it over the course of the last year. But the fact that you know the the, the Golden Field Services employees are anxious to get back to the office it says a lot about the company. So with that being said, and you may have already answered that, what makes uh, Golden Field Services a great company to work for? Well, one, it's uh, it's it's always been run by Jerry Jeffries Senior. And he, he is, uh, you know, the biggest part of why everybody is there and the people that have been there for many years. He's uh, extremely, over the years, obviously, we all change as we get older. I can attest to that myself personally. Uh, but he's, uh, he's always true to his word. He's a very honest man and always has been since I first met him in 1984. You can always count on that. Uh, whether it be with his employees or or our clients. Uh, And he treats everybody like family. He's genuinely concerned when there's issues that you have to deal with. He's concerned about it. And I think that's what's kept everybody there for, you know, many years. Many people have been there many years. I've worked with him previous to it becoming Golden Build Services. So it's a very, uh, I think it's even kind beyond uh, a family oriented. I, I mean, it is a family. It's, it's more like a family amongst themselves. So it's um, a great place to work, and it takes care of the people. I mean, absolutely takes care of people. So that goes a long ways. Yep, for sure. Thanks for sharing that. And that is something that is so hard to find these days. So, you know, very unique situation there. And, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Um, 
So let's, you work in a very competitive industry as it pertains to like pipeline power and, and telecom. Um, and of course, you know, I don't want to get political, but with the, uh, you know, with the election that had just passed, you know, I think the direction of things may have changed just a little bit. So I'm curious to get your perspective. You've been doing it for a long time. So kind of like, where have we been as far as those industries go? And where do you think we're going? Well, you know, I've actually had a lot of conversation with people about this thing over the last three or four months, and especially since the election, because the progressive uh, ideas and policies of the green energy theory and what have you is probably taking shape faster than most people thought it would. But the industry as a whole, especially in the oil and gas industry and the mining metals industry, have seen the ups and the downs in, in big ways. And I've continue to work in the industry through the ups and the downs. Uh, when, you know, the boom went bust and, you know, everything went belly up. That was a number of years ago, but uh, <clears throat> they came back. And honestly speaking, the idea of green energy is a, uh, I'm not going to say it's a crazy idea. It's, it's obviously something that's been shaping for some time, and it didn't start with uh, all the activists getting concerned about climate change and, um, you know, problems with the pollution and emissions. It's been going on for a long time, and actually Free Enterprise has been pretty good about looking at changing the way we do our work. Uh, bottom line is it's all about the bottom line. Uh, any producer, anybody, you know, in, in that field is going to tell you the more of the product they can use or save or reblend or bring back in, it affects the bottom line and it makes it cleaner. The benefit is it makes it cleaner, but we're actually improving our own industry for, from the bottom line. Uh, are there ways to improve it? Yeah, of course there are, but the, the reality of, and I think this last, when we had the deep freeze in Texas and the issues that came from Texas, I think it kind of brought to the forefront the, the, the idea that just going off and turning fossil fuels off is not an option. Uh, over time, can it be phased out? It can be combined with green energy, yes. But just to actually say you're just going to turn it off just from the fact of energy is one thing to turn it off when you're looking at all the products that enhance our lives, I mean, which they do. The, the, the oil and gas industry enhances our daily lives tremendously worldwide. And to just stop that, I, I think, is not everybody <clears throat> on that side wanting to change the world overnight or what have you really understands fully the implication of how our lives are affected by the energy industry as we know it today. So while well, we're going to change going forward, and I think we should, we should always look at making things better. I, I seriously don't believe that it's going to just deteriorate into one day it's all turned off and we forget about it because our lives depend on it too much. Uh, it, it just, it's just a fact of life. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I, I think if there's any industry that, um, requires people that work in that industry to be, you know, very adaptable and to, you know, be able to make changes in a, in a really quick fashion. It's definitely the, you know, the pipeline power and telecom industry. And it's very challenging work. You know, the people I've never done a ton of that work from a survey perspective, but I know folks that, that do, and it's very challenging. Talk about the challenges that surveyors, you know, um, have to deal with, I guess, on a daily basis, uh, working on those type of projects. Well, one that's always foremost in everyone's mind is the safety. And, you know, as I've worked overseas in very many different countries, <clears throat> we talk a lot about safety here in the United States. And actually, we talk about safety in the United States as being a cultural, you know, idea. And it is. It really is. Uh, you can go to other countries where they may be just now starting to really look at the safety side of things. And that's kind of archaic at this point. Countries are changing, but here in the United States, we've actually started to the point where it's cultural. In other words, you don't just think of your safety at home or at work. 
You also think of your safety at home with your kids and you teach them, raising them up to consider safety. For example, when I was a kid, I raised up, I rode a bicycle and, you know, motorbikes and didn't have helmets and didn't have pads and didn't have anything. You know, it was what it was and people got hurt. You never really thought about it. Nowadays, we're actually, it's ingrained in our society. Uh, like I said, I do a lot of woodwork, build things all my kids and I've got a few of them. <laughs> I'm always getting them to help me and involved with it. It's things like wearing gloves and wearing safety glasses, which, uh, you know, growing up, I grew up on a ranch and a farm and my dad was pretty safety minded. So it was kind of instilled in me early and I do the same thing with my kids. So the, the challenges are in the industry, especially oil and gas industry is you get complacent. You think there's no issues. Uh, you attend your safety meetings and what could happen to a surveyor, right? Uh, a lot can happen to a surveyor wise out on a pipeline. And I've seen the result of that through some companies. And uh, obviously this is a number of years ago would try to run because they're in a hurry. <clears throat> they're in a hurry. They want to get it done. They want to get going. They run their hydrostatic tests at the same time when surveyors are out there trying to work, even though some of it may have been backfilled and covered up. We finally got the industry to realize, for the most part, you don't want anybody on the right-of-way when you're doing a hydrostatic test. And we've had splits, and we've had mm. problems, and we've had issues from that. So while we think it's pretty safe to just go across the ground, you know, taking shots on stuff, when you're in the oil and gas industry, just even out on a pipeline, it can become very dangerous. You have to remain aware of it situational awareness of where you are and what you're doing and the equipment running around you. The operators don't really look for you. You have to look for them. If you're in a plant, you've got twofold issues with, uh, you know, operations are ongoing or you're building new stuff and there's, uh, there's lots of uh, issues. So for me, and it always has been, I'm a firm believer in the safety side. And I make, uh, as, as I progressed in the industry, I've always tried to focus on that foremost. And I'm not uh, one of the people that just says, yeah, that's that's our mantra. That's our thing. We believe in safety. And then when it comes down to it, it ends up being the bottom dollar or the bottom line. And like, yeah, <laughs> it's not bothering me. So I'm not going to worry about it. I don't believe in that. I always believed in safety, keeping everybody going home every night, no matter what part of the industry you're working in. So for me, that's one of the hardest things. Uh, there's the difficulties of your equipment and the processes that you run through and the mistakes that can happen, but you rely on the professionalism of the guys and the gals that are out there working to understand what they're doing. And for me, that's kind of secondary to making sure that everybody comes home at the end of the day and we don't have any issues with that. And I actually live by that even at home. Yep, part of your part of your lifestyle, part of the culture. Um, something I thought was interesting that you mentioned there. First of all, situational awareness, and that's something that I preach all the time, and it's something that anybody who works on the field, you know, needs to be mindful of. You know, every minute, every every single day. And you mentioned, you know, working around these uh, operators. You know, especially in the type of work that, that you're in. You know, these surveyors are, uh, you know, constantly in that in that position or in that situation. So I think it's really important. I guess I'm going off on a tangent here just a little bit, but if you're working around, you know, heavy equipment operators, that type of thing, it's really important to make eye contact with mm -hmm. that operator so that you know without any shadow of a doubt that they know that you're there. Give the wink and the nod. Right. Yep. You never assume that an operator sees you. <laughs> never assume. Never assume. Absolutely. Um, so I'm really glad you touched on safety. I appreciate that. Um, I know that you've done a lot of work, um, you know, outside of the U.S. And I'd love to hear some, you know, some some of the stories. You know, tell me tell me about the um, you know the pipeline that you worked on that at the time was the the highest as far as elevation goes pipeline in the world. Talk about that project a little bit. Well, that was a gas Atacama project, <clears throat> excuse me, which came from uh, the gas fields in, in Argentina. Uh, it's in northern Chile and Argentina and uh, supplied by the fields that came around that area in Brazil and such that come in through Argentina and then up and over the Andes Mountains into Chile in the northern area in the, in the Atacama Desert to a power plant that was there in Chile. Um, 
Very interesting way to work. I mean, I was tested on other projects I'd worked in mining that were at very high altitude, but that was the first time I'd actually worked on a gas and oil project that was coming over such high altitude. In fact, a route on the very top of the pass in, in the Atacama Desert, uh, if anybody's familiar with the astronomy and radio waves and stuff like that, you may be familiar with what has now been built and exists is big array of radio wave um, dishes that set in the Atacama Desert for the study of, you know, radio waves and noises coming from outer space. Hmm. Uh, when you're in the gas, at, when you're in the Atacama Desert, it's very arid. So there's really no refraction. It's very high altitude. Uh, it's a beautiful place at night. I mean, to look at the sky and the stars, it's incredibly beautiful. Uh, but our line particularly ran what we didn't know at the time when we routed it and we were building it was exactly where they wanted to build the uh, observatory and the array. <laughs> so we had to go back in and do a little bit of engineering work and end up having to build it deeper because the tracks ran right across our, our pipeline route a couple of times after it was built. So that was kind of interesting. But at that time, it was um, the highest altitude pipeline that was built at the time. It, it didn't take too long for that to, you know, become the lesser of. But uh, one of the things I realized, I've flown a lot in helicopters. I did a lot of work in South America in helicopters for routing and looking at jobs, is that the higher the altitude and the temperature of the day makes a big difference on where you can go in a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> you may be able to get there and land but as the air thins and heats, you can't provide enough lift to take wow. back off from a high altitude. So sure. I learned that hard, hard lesson once and uh, you know, never forget, never forgot that. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty but that good. was an interesting job. What, so what year was that? Uh, I want to say that was uh, 97, 98, 98. So just out of curiosity, are, are there any technologies available today that would have changed the way you guys did that survey in 98? Well, you know, GPS was there. It, it was not probably used like it is today. And the, 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 the quickness of the equipment and the agile ability that they have now is not there so that that would have made a difference so and being as that commentator we didn't have a lot of canopy to worry about at all but we did have some mountains occasionally had to pull out uh you know the conventional equipment to continue work with the guys but um there's really lidar would have been the way to go quite honestly i'm a firm believer in that now after using it a few years because it's really developed uh uh, quite a bit, and for today's lidar, being able to to work then would have been a great asset. And uh, secondly, it would probably be using drones. Mm. Um, in this day and age, and I, being in the position I am now, I I don't do a lot of the routing work uh, that I used to do. But uh, in, in the period when I was still doing routing, I started incorporating a drone, and wow. If that had been around a long time ago, that it made the job much easier and quicker. I didn't have to hike two or three times up and over the hill to see if I was on the right route. Even having a set of uh, you know maps in front of you, you still don't see on the ground what it is you're going to have to deal with in a construction you know phase. So those two things would have made a huge difference. And I think as we move along, they're becoming bigger and bigger a part of the pipeline industry, just in general for everything. But definitely on survey. Yeah. No Pipeline cool. and beyond. Yeah, no question. <clears throat> right. Shoots, have you ever uh, worked on any projects in Argentina? Mm, no. No. I had to think about that one for a second <laughs> there, but no. <laughs> uh, so, Fred, you've been surveying for, you know, gosh, over 40 years, uh, is my understanding. He may be the most experienced surveyor we've had on. Yeah. Is I that about so. it, I think? Yeah. 40 well, what years. What about Mr. Vollmer? <laughs> 
Volmer. Oh, yeah. Oh, Volmer was yeah. like 52. No, longer than that. It was like 86 years. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The guy was 100 and something years old. I was going to say he was like 103. Yeah. All right. So you're a close number wow. two. Yeah. Yeah. You're a, you're a close number two. Exactly. So, Fred, I mean, a having, much more recent number two. Yeah. Right. So, having surveying for 40 years, you got to have a good story or two, you know, while you're, uh, while you're out surveying. Why don't you share one or two of those with us? I do have a couple. One notably in in uh, in the states, working many years ago, uh, is a pipeline project uh, coming over the Uinta Mountains in Utah, and uh, it was hard access to where we were going, and most of it was hiking and walking and bringing your equipment in. And we had a particular pasture we had to go through, or I should say, an open pasture. It wasn't a cow pasture or anything. It was in the Uinta Mountains, so it was subject to the wildlife. <laughs> and we had the instrument set up, and we were trying to set up our traversing points. This was before GPS. And uh, uh, a bull moose decided that that was his place, and he didn't want us there. And uh, we had great difficulty crossing over a creek that was pretty fast flowing. It wasn't dangerously fast flowing, but it was cold. It was extremely <laughs> cold. And we went through a lot of presses to put a rope over it so we could shimmy over it and not get wet. And, uh, well, we pretty much forgot all about the rope when it came to the bull moose chasing us. But once we crossed the water, he left us alone. Uh, but we had to deal with him for two days Wow! Uh, before uh, we could get back out and finish and keep going. And that, that was kind of a hard one to explain to your superiors when they're asking why you're not getting any progress yeah uh if you've ever been next to a bull moose it's like they're huge and uh when they're mad and, and running at you it's not really the place you want to be i i, I won't i wouldn't want to get hit by a, a regular bull mind you but I, I take running and getting away from a bull over i would a moose <laughs> yeah no question uh, any other stories come to mind well, there's a few. I worked in uh, Azerbaijan, in the early oil pipeline process, and at the time we were there, they were still at war with Armenia. And uh, me and a fellow that was doing a particular other portion of the discovery portion of an existing pipeline that was there, who has since passed away many years ago, but a, a very great gentleman. We were working there together. He had one team, I had another team. He was doing uh, construction efforts while I was doing survey and recording uh, what we could find of the existing pipeline. And uh, we worked for a rather, a rather large corporation. I won't get into the name because I don't want to get anybody else in trouble, but they were actually at war. Well, we befriended uh, one of the, what they would call in the province area there, it would be equivalent to a mayor here in the States. and. Um, he was curious because he'd never personally met any American. And so he invited us both to have uh, dinner or lunch in the Caucasus Mountains. Well, mind you, at that time, they were still suffering the very first war they had with Armenia, and there wasn't a whole lot in the country. And food was a scarcity of, of any other other than just, you know, the basic need. So they were saying they would they would put out a lunch and there would be trout and, you know, cause there's streams in the Caucasus mountains and we're both were like going, yeah, that would be great. Hmm. Uh, so we were all for it. Little did we know what all was going on there, to be honest with you, uh, not really too mindful of the fact of what was going on. We seemed to be far removed for it, but they, they took us to the Caucasus fountains. We went up and, uh, lo and behold, we went right up to the front line of where Armenia, and Azerbaijan were uh, at battle. Now, it wasn't a super active, you know, uh, period in time, but it got that way in the evening, every evening. And um, we're sitting up there having this wonderful lunch, I mean, incredibly good lunch, talking about all the great things that there is in life. And uh, we had a, a platoon come by, and the mayor, who is there also very uh, – you know, entrenched with not only the government, if you're in the government, you're in the military as well. It's kind of, you know, the same thing. And he was proud of us being there. We were Americans. 
and he kind of wanted to show us off and he had the platoon march by. And of course we took pictures and we took pictures with some of the guys and some of the military personnel. And then shortly after that, we kind of got shuffled off, but because it was approaching that time of night, well, I didn't share the pictures, but Richard, my good friend did share some pictures and we both almost got fired for that oh, because we were definitely in a place we shouldn't have been. Of course, looking back now, <laughs> it was pretty silly, but at the time we were very young and we thought, yeah, you know, we're 10 foot tall and bulletproof, not a problem. Yep. Um, that, that was an interesting time, but, uh, yeah, we survived it. They kept us there. Uh, we both got uh, a slap on the wrist and reprimanded for it. And, uh, you know, didn't share any more pictures after that. <laughs> Did you document that in your field notes? <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, that would have been maybe maybe the worst thing to do. But uh, yeah, it was an active war, and of course, if we kept moving further uh, up into the country to the to the northern portion of Azerbaijan, is when it kind of came more clear because every night the the firefights would start, and although we were down in the valleys and we were never threatened by you know, being next to it, uh, we could see it and watch it take place up in the mountains. And so after that, it was kind of like, yeah, what we did was probably not very smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. It makes me think but it about was a memory. Yeah, no question. It makes me think about, you know, I've read, you know, some old field notes from the original GLO surveyors and I'm sure you've seen them as well, where they'll, they'll document in there, like, you know, survey team had to stop for the day encountered Apache Indian tribe or what have you lost two men to this, whatever. I mean, some of the, some of the stuff that's been, you know, captured in these field notes is pretty freaking amazing. Um, right. I, I do want to circle back with one thing Anya. Um, so you mentioned, you know, some of the guys you worked with early on in your career, uh, talk about the importance of, of mentoring when it comes to serving. Oh, you, you probably can't get, anything better to talk about than the mentoring process when you're, when you're working with young people, <clears throat> it, once you become older and you've been in the business for many years and, and nowadays there are a lot of people that still know how to run instruments still know the whole process of surveying, but I still feel it's important. And I've even brought this up in some of uh, my specifications as it were that you would set up for uh, projects and people and companies is that it's important for the guys to know what they're doing and why they're doing it. Uh, it's one thing to take a GPS out there and you've got recorded points and you and you just go out and you're setting points and you're doing it. And while it is surveying, I'm, I'm not going to belittle anybody that wants to go into that profession. It's still not exactly surveying. But of course, any land surveyors, PLSs and all are going to tell you that there's a lot to survey and mentoring younger people as to that knowledge and giving them some insights to it and even showing them how to run instrumentation when you can and discussing why you do the things you're doing, not just we're doing this because I told you to. I mean, being clear and concise with the people you work with and telling them why you're doing it, explaining why you're doing it and the processes of surveying. Uh, is pretty important. And, 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 uh, mind you, you know, when I was young, I was, uh, there's probably some people that would tell me that I was, you know, pretty much an a-hole, but it, it didn't take too long for me to realize that that's really not the way to work with people. <laughs> uh, you know, and I can remember the old adage, my grandpa telling me, you know, you can catch a lot more flies with sugar than you can with vinegar. Yep. Never really thought about that too much till I got on in life and, and started working with people and managing and realizing that, no, that, that's very true. I mean, uh, you need to be aware of people and who they are, uh, what they believe in, what their issues are, not just your work, but on the mentoring side of survey, it's extremely important because we're kind of sort of losing touch with what it used to be like to survey without GPS. Yep. And in today's world, given the things and the issues we're having um, and the programs and the money associated to the GNSS and to GPS, uh, we may be stuck going back to private enterprise to run those systems to continue the use of GPS. So it's important that you understand more than just GPS, that you understand the whole process of uh, 
survey itself. So mentoring can be done eloquently and kindly. It's usually not done with a stick, but some people are still that way. So I, I believe you have to be you have to be firm, but you have to let people ask the questions why and hear their, you know, ideas without just completely discounting it. So mentoring is a, a well, but mentoring in life is a big deal. So I've always believed in that. Oh, that's a good point. It's not just serving life. Mm-hmm. Mentoring is important. Yep. That's wisdom, buddy. <laughs> I, th- does that come with age? It does. <laughs> well, so I'm told. I'll, I'll get there someday. <laughs> it, it really does. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully it does. I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, that was well said, Fred. I appreciate that. So you've been doing this for 40 years. We've mentioned that a couple times. What keeps you motivated at this point? You know, what are you most excited about moving forward? Well, the one thing I've always tried to keep in mind, it wasn't on purpose. It wasn't purposeful. It just seems to be the way I was raised and what I do. But I've always enjoyed technology. Uh, I remember very early on in my career, um, they took me out of the field and they decided that, uh, you know, I was doing field notes and all that. And everybody thought my field notes were just exceptional. So they decided, well, you need to go on and be a draftsman. So they took me out of the field and they brought me in as a draftsman. And that's not really the story I'm going for. It's the fact that I was listening to people and I worked for a company that bought uh, the very first computer drafting. And actually it was working in the PNIDs. It was not in the survey side at all. We were still on Mylar. We were still on drafting tables. Yep. And uh, when there was wind of the electrical group was using this program uh, I was intrigued, you know, I always was thinking new ways to do stuff. It's cooler. Uh, I was interested in it, but I heard a lot of the other gentlemen that were older than me saying, ah, that's the end of us. You know, we'll be, com- we'll be replaced by computers. And I thought that was an odd statement because I thought, well, they don't just do themselves. I mean, somebody has to make them operate them, you know, make them work and do the thing they did. So for me, what motivates me is, is continuing to be involved in technology, uh, understanding it, staying up to uh, date with uh, the latest softwares we use in a big way, GIS, you know, ArcMap, Esri products, uh, survey products, GPS, LiDAR. I'm intrigued by seeing where technology is taking us. So for me, I'm always interested, and it's what keeps me motivated. I, I like getting involved with the changes that the industry has made and the advancements and and always have some great idea that we could do something better you know only to find out that there's some younger person that's already a step or two ahead of me but that's okay because that's what it's all about but uh yeah that's really what keeps me going i i enjoy working with younger people and understanding the new technologies and stuff they can do and being able to learn it so that I can say, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I'm not just, you know, over there lost in the weeds trying to figure out how I write an email, you know, or, or open up my computer. So I kind of pride myself in, in staying uh, technologically uh, aware and not only aware, but also, you know, teaching myself and moving along with it and staying up on the latest stuff. So you're that's what kind of keeps me motivated. I was just going to say that. Go ahead. Go ahead, Shoots. <laughs> no, he's a unicorn that, you know, he's got the knowledge and he's experienced, but he still wants to keep up on the technology. We don't want those appliance operators. We want somebody like Fred to actually teach them the history and what they're actually the doing. Yes. The why, for sure. Uh, no, that's a great answer. Shoots, I, I want to say that you will never be replaced by a computer. No. No matter what happens, I mean, maybe a hologram, but yeah. not a computer. No. Me, on the other hand, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you are a computer. <laughs> well, Jake, you know, one Jake day I, I might be a hologram. They you know, <laughs> pop me up, and I'm like Obi Wan Kenobi, you know, talking to them about the way we used to survey. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome! Hey, you might be onto something there, actually, Fred. <laughs> hey, as long as it teaches the younger crew. Yeah, man, no doubt, right? We again. That, that old statement that has been tossed around, appliance operators, we mm-hmm. don't want that. And yep. Fred is one of these guys that is stopping that. 
and yep. I, and that and that's respected by me yep. and I assume you guys as well. Yeah, for sure, paying it forward. Yeah. One really quick thing about that hologram coming out. I was just thinking about that for a second. And um, one of our previous um, guests, Robert Martin, talked about how he has his videos that he records on these different devices. Yep. And that he's actually heard that some people will be on, on the field and they'll stop. Oh, how do I do this? And watch his video. So that's almost kind of like that hologram type thing to where someone needs a question answered right there. They go on their phone on YouTube, watch his video, yep. and then figure it out right there on the field. It really so is. Once we get Robert in right. a hologram popping out, that's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> We're not too far from that, I don't think, right? Yeah. Right. I think right. we're close. That, that's an interesting point. It'll be that's Robert, true. Fred, and Tupac. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <that's funny. laughs> well, uh, let me ask you this one, Mr. Brown. Uh, we've we've done this episode 73 at this point, and we've asked this question to every guest, and I don't know how familiar you are with us, but do you have a mantra that you live by? Well, for me, my mantra is, I guess, and it may be cliche, is this when you think you know everything, you probably need to just go away and crawl under a rock because that's really when you cease to mm. be involved with humanity. You know, you can always learn something from everybody every day. Hey, there you go. That, that's very well said. And once you think you know it, anytime you think you know everything, you're going to get burned. I mean, we've talked about it a number of times, you know, once you start taking things for granted, um, you know, that's a very dangerous place to be in. So being open-minded, I mean, Fred is a great example of that. He's been doing it for 40 years and yet he still learns every single day. And that's the way all of us need to be. Mm. I also like the one, if you could say it one more time that you said that your grandpa had said about the, uh, uh, the, the sugar and the vinegar. Yeah, go ahead. Repeat that one. That was close. Well, yeah, yeah. You can then. catch more flies with sugar than you can vinegar. That's actually, is that a pretty popular? I've never heard that before. I like I, it. It's genius. I mean, it's so simple, but it's so true, you know? You guys have never heard that one before? Not exactly that same way. <laughs> I've never. Mm-mm. I can understand, Jake. It, it may be. Either, but yeah, it may be. Maybe it's my southern roots. different. It's a generational yeah, thing. My family, my family hails from the from the south originally. Before they ever came to Arizona, it was originally from Texas. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, colloquials and euphemisms that are sometimes they make me really laugh. But if you think about it, it's like, ah, you know what? Yep. <laughs> they make they a lot of sense. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Some of those those uh, old mantras per se are uh, are like gold. Really, I mean, they're they're timeless. They they. They have the wisdom beyond our years. Exactly, exactly. They simplistic. They are simplistic in their way, but they make a lot of sense. Yep, for sure. Well, Fred, I got to be honest with you. Um, I have really enjoyed this. Uh, great talking to you. Great getting to know you a little bit. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you might want to get out there? No, I mean, you know, obviously when we get off, I'm like, oh, I should have brought that up or something. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess that's the way that, that, that it always is. I think the French have a word for that. I just can't remember what it is. But uh, <laughs> uh, no, pretty much no. I mean, I've never done uh, a podcast, so I was kind of interested to be involved in it. And uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed myself. Well, I appreciate that, and uh, we'd love to have you back again, to be honest with you. Um, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot more that we can dig into, and one thing I will say, anybody who isn't already following Golden Field Services on LinkedIn, um, I would highly recommend that you do so, because there's tons of good content there. Is that you posting that, or do you have somebody that works for the company that does that, Fred? No, that's, uh, well, I have, I actually have some people that, that help me discover and look for mm-hmm. uh, interesting information but uh, no i'm i manage the linkedin site so uh i kind of try to keep it uh upbeat and uh as hard as it is in this day and age to keep it away from politics but uh i i occasionally i'll i'll slant off that way and uh mr senior will go uh excuse me <laughs> <laughs> we're not about politics. i know you're right so uh, yeah i try to keep it away but just for the point of reference specifically uh it's Golden Field Services Inc. Mm. It's GFS Inc. on LinkedIn. So it, it, there's another one out there. It's not accurate. It's not correct. It's actually GFS Inc. Gotcha. GFS yeah, Inc. Good. Okay, good. Thanks for clarifying that. I appreciate it. But you guys do a great job with your LinkedIn page. And uh, I mean, I, I learn something new from it every single day. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. We've been a little slow this week because I've been out 
but uh, the, the guys and gals are still telling me you need you need to get this out there so uh, i travel back home tomorrow and i'll, I'll be back on <laughs> well hey i can't thank you enough for your time safe travels make sure you get home okay and uh you know once again i appreciate you highlighting safety and, and sharing the stories with us that uh, that you have and again you know we, we would love to have you come back so hopefully you'd be up to that absolutely I absolutely would, and uh, you, you've got a new follower because I wasn't really sure what it was about, and I've checked it out a little before I got on, and I'm interested, and uh, yeah, I'll be following you. Fantastic. Thank you so much. All right, guys, uh, there you have it, folks. I mean, let's, let's put a bow on this put one. Put a bow on boy. this one for sure. Another awesome, without question, value-adding friend-making show. Please be sure to check us out at thegeoholics.com. Follow us on all previously mentioned social media outlets by searching for The Geoholics, and of course, Take a sec, go to landsurveyorsunited.com and download the Geoholics app. Send us an email at info at thegeoholics.com if you have any content ideas or would like to be a guest on a future show or just to say hi, to be honest with you, that we'd love to hear from you. Uh, please support our awesome friends of the program every chance you get. Be sure to mention that you're a Geoholic for the VIP experience. Pay it forward. Add value, make friends. Midnight Oil, Blue Sky Mine, available everywhere. Finally, and most importantly... Be safe and healthy, everybody. Who's gonna save me? I pray the sense and reason. Who's gonna save Once again, thank you to our friends of the program, Aerotech Mapping Inc. at ATMLV.com, Advanced Geodetic Surveys Inc. at AGSGPS.com, Bad Elf GPS at Bad-Elf.com, Cobb Fenley at CobbFenley.com, Cyanic Automation at CyanicAutomation.com, Diamondback Land Surveying at DiamondbackLandSurveying.com, Get Kids Into Survey at GetKidsIntoSurvey.com, Land Surveyors United at LandSurveyorsUnited.com, Mentoring Mondays at MentoringMondays.xyz, Monson Engineering at MonsonEngineering.com, Parkland Community College at Parkland.edu slash LandSurveying, Safety Apparel at safetyapparel.us, Tiger Supplies at tigersupplies.com.